Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for sharing, subscribing, jumping on the show, and I'm sure you will absolutely love this week's episode. I sit down with my business partner, Tom. We share a lot of personal experiences, and I'm sure it will be of value to you. So let's jump into it. Hey guys, Dominic Neshi here from Wealthy. In this episode, I'm very excited because I get to sit across from my business partner, one of my best mates, uh, Peter Escher. Man, thanks for jumping on the show. Thanks for having me, mate. You're doing a fantastic job <laughs> and I'm honored to be on the show today. No, no, no. For all of you that don't know Peter, one, you should, and two, this man has been doing uh, broadcasting, he's running his own um, radio shows, he's been on ABC. SBS, he's been on BBC, all the bloody acronyms and TV. Um, we went over to Singapore and he, they ushered us in like we were kings. They let us into the the, 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 the grand showroom and stuff. Um, so it's good having him on this podcast because Peter and I both buy and sell property. We both built, uh, built extensive portfolios and he has so much knowledge that I learn from every single day. So it's great to have him here so that we can, you can all learn something from him too. Thanks, Tom. That's very kind of you. Likewise, mate. All righty. Well, man, look, I didn't want to set anything very specific. I wanted to chat to you today. I wanted to introduce you to the audience, if ones that don't know you, but also wanted to chat about some of your experiences in property. And, you know, not a lot of people know this, but you used to be a stock analyst. Yep. You, you understand businesses very, very intimately. Um, and then in that time, you sort of matured your thinking about investments and you saw that people were investing in property. Can you mm. talk a little bit about that journey? Well, Dom, like you, I grew up in Western Sydney. I came from very humble beginnings, grew up in a family that were migrants, grew up in a family business. And when I was growing up, all the people that I aspired and I looked up to, whether they were my family or relatives, were making money in real estate. They were doing something very s simple they were buying a real estate asset and renting it out. And so from a very early age that, you know, that was there for me as proof, um, but I wanted better. I had ambition just like you. Um, and I, you know, growing up watching movies like Wall Street, uh, the stock market was sensationalized. And towards the end of um, high school, um, I decided I want to be part of that. Didn't know how, didn't know what I was doing, but I knew let's go to uni, let's work really, really hard and let's try to get into the stock market. And like you, um, I got in, uh, worked there and realized that all the people in that space, all the really smart, wealthy people were also investing their money in real estate or making money from real estate. And so... I probably wanted to leave that space a bit earlier, but you know, I got married at a young age. I was a young father, and and really at that point, I decided three to four years into my career that I did want to be in real estate. I didn't know how, but I did what I could. I took all the money that I was earning, and I invested it in, and and I bought into the market. And I guess that's where the the learning and education journey started for me. Let me let me pause on something there because I find that really really interesting. I I, I wanted to be a more a, a, a broker as well on the stock market, and then I went into financial planning, similar sort of scenario to you. And what amazed me is all of these really wealthy people that were trading stocks, doing mortgage broking, were solicitors, were doctors, all of these people. When you spoke to them, what they actually said they made money in was real estate, and it was simple. 
it was easier, right? Like we would sit there. I remember sitting there writing 50-page reports on, on a stock and breaking it down and thousands of lines on a model and everything else. And often we'd get it wrong. And it wasn't just me getting it wrong. The market gets it wrong. And one of the biggest things that hit home for me was in 2008, we had the global financial crisis. I saw a lot of people lose a lot of money. Um, I saw people in my own family lose money. And I was very fortunate. I read a book called The Black Swan by Nassim Taleb. If, if the audience hasn't read it, I highly encourage you to read it. It's a great book about how to think about risk and how to manage risk in your life. And I fluked it. I sold out of the stock market. I saw a lot of people, and that really hurt me. Like, I, I, that wasn't a nice feeling. And I decided that I didn't want to be part of this. And with real estate, you know, we've just gone through a soft market. It's been a difficult market. But I don't know anybody in Sydney Metro, Melbourne Metro, Brisbane Metro that can sit there and say they've lost money to the same extent that people in the stock market got wiped out in 2008, 2009 and probably will in, in the next couple of years. I think that's part of the reason why when we talk about our formula, which is passive income over total expenses, why we love property so much because we don't we don't see and I don't think it is, property isn't a discretionary asset. Shares are in many contexts. When you go buy Johnson and Johnson, and when you go buy, you know, um, Apple products, these are all discretionary things. And if you have a look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, down the bottom, you got to put a roof over your head. You got to, you know, feed yourself and look after yourself. You got to have that cave. And that's the reason why we agree that real estate is the best space for you to create that passive income. That's right. So my grandmother, I always go back to my grandmother. She got married when she was 16, raised, you know, 10 children, first five died. And when I sat down after university, very proud and tried to explain to her what I did, she didn't understand it. But her advice was go and buy a house, right? Buy a house, don't pay rent. And in hindsight, I used to think that, you know, here's this illiterate little woman. What does she know? I've got two uni degrees and I work with people that are really intelligent and flashy lights and, and, and complicated models. But her, her advice was simple and her advice has got thousands and thousands of years, as you say, of track record behind it. You know, investing in stocks, if that works for you, fantastic, go and do it. I've got no problem with it. But I just love real estate. I like real estate. It's got the tangible aspect to it. You're actually investing in something. And, and as a landlord, you're giving a home to a tenant. Mm -hmm. You're giving a nice space and you're helping that person out. And it's been there for thousands of years. And if it's been there for thousands of years, it means it probably works, right? It works pretty well so far. So let's, let's talk a little bit about your journey because like me, you've done very similar things where you bought old property. You've done renovations, you've bought houses, you've bought apartments, you've bought commercial, you've bought all sorts of real estate and it's all been part of your journey. Uh, as Robert Kiyosaki says, buy four houses and then a hotel like Bloody Monopoly. You've done something very similar to that. Um, are you happy to chat about some of your journey and how that sort of worked? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to share my journey, not to boast, but to help those and encourage those who are starting out, um, you know, so I want this to be of encouragement to you. Um, I remember buying, you know, some of my early investments was buying a house on, in Smithfield, mm. Fairfield. 
it was the ugliest house. Um, but my um, my fiance at the time, who, who's now my wife, um, we decided to get in and and buy and utilize the grant. There was a fourteen thousand dollar grant, no stamp duty. And we bought what, what we could afford. I bought a house uh, on Alexander Street, Smithfield. And I remember showing it around to my friends because it's scary buying your first place. You want all the validation. I didn't have a business like Wealthy to go to and sort of doing it on my own and relying on family and friends. And, you know, there was comments, oh, the trees are very large and they could be problematic. The fence might have asbestos. Uh, the first home buyers, I remember this, my boss at the time, really, you know, smart guy, lived in Balmoral, beautiful man. Um, but his advice was, you just wait and see what happens when the first home buyer's grant finishes, mm. the market's going to collapse. Yeah. Western Sydney is a basket case. You, there was maybe a hundred things you could put on the list, but we bought it. We bought it. We did quite well. Um, uh, we sold it after a year, uh, lesson learned, two lessons, um, always, uh, keep your investment criteria simple. Do your research, but don't overcomplicate it. And mm. lesson number two, don't sell too early because the person that purchased that knocked it down, put up a duplex, and now has two beautiful houses earning him very good income in a, in a suburb that's doubled since. Brand new assets, depreciation, good quality tenants. Yeah, and they were aggressive. So, you know, we had made money on paper and we were quite happy. We didn't have... Um, you know, we were starting out, we came from humble beginnings and money on the table was good for us. It was, hey, there's profit there, let's take it. But um, the person that bought it was very aggressive. Um, there was a little bit of ambiguity if you could put two on the block. But they were really aggressive. They bought it, they pushed, they went to council, they got it through. They got it done. And while, you know, you could look at that experience and say, I stuffed up. And, you know, oh, my God, let me get really depressed and anxious and, and rip my hair out. I looked at it and I said, awesome, because that's going to that's gonna give me the encouragement now to back myself and go more aggressive on the next one. Lesson learned. So that's your experiences with house, something old, buying, selling too early. What has been your experience and what was the thought process and logic now to buying your first commercial asset? How did that sort of come about and what was that journey like? So commercial goes maybe back a bit earlier. So when I was growing up, um, my family bought commercial real estate in the heart of Fairfield. Um, You know, they were using it as owner operators. My family was in retail. And I remember my dad telling stories about how he bought a bank building from the bank when banks were trying to get out of banking um trying sorry when banks were trying to get out of bank branches you know they were selling these big yep. these big buildings yeah and he got a really good price and he hustled and he, he got it and he got the bank to lend him the money and you know he stitched it together as a development site yeah uh, pushed it through the council and they went to market and they couldn't find a buyer um, someone took an option on it. Cut a long story short, they mistimed the market. They sold too early. A couple of years later, it tripled, and that could have been their their nest egg. You know, that could have been retirement for my dad and his brothers. So I knew commercial is a really, it's more of a volatile market. But if mm. you get it right, you can do really well. And there's less people looking at commercial when it's an ugly duckling than mm-hmm. there are people looking at residential because anyone can go, sort of go to Bunnings and buy some paint and. We've got TV shows that glorify that, but no one's really glorifying commercials. So, again, I saw a commercial opportunity. Um, my wife was really on board with it. 
we did our numbers and we moved in aggressively and we bought our first commercial asset that had been vacant for six months because it looked disgusting from the outside. We painted it and managed to lease it to a pharmacy within a couple of weeks and that has been one of the best tenants we've had. And we've supported that business. You know, the actions we took have now allowed a small business to go in there and build a beautiful business and they're supporting a community with their medicine and pharmaceutical needs and everything else. So it's quite rewarding. And you've got a great cash flow asset. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Not, not bad. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that's an awesome journey. I love that you have this commercial property. It adds a lot of weight to your portfolio. And, and as a man that's kind of got your family and you've got to pay bills and you've got however many meals a day, as you like to say. Yeah, there's, there's um, five of us, three meals a day. It's 15 meals a day. So that, that's mouths to feed. It's good to have that cash flow coming in especially when you're running businesses and, and, you know, you're leaving your principal place of, you know, income, if Mm. you will. Um, Let's talk a little bit about new property. Yep. I know that you've got a, I like your strategy. There's, there's, we, on this show, we talk about a lot of different philosophies, ways to purchase property, old homes, new homes, inner city stuff, Bondi, out west, Melbourne, whatever. What you've done, which is pretty interesting, and I won't give away any of the numbers of things because I know that you're a private man, is you've purchased brand new property and you've also purchased something that is what typically wouldn't be seen as a investment. You want to chat a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, after after we were doing quite well and we had that momentum and you start to pat yourself on the back a little bit and I remember uh, something I completely missed was depreciation because nobody has sat down. I'd never made a lot of money to have a big tax problem for Mm. someone to say you need to look at depreciation. It had always been sort of really humble. and So um, I realised that depreciation is one of the biggest tax incentives out there for investors. It was, And so depreciation, for those that don't know, when you buy a brand new asset, the tax office says that, hey, you can claim this expense every year called depreciation. Uh, Even though it's not coming out of your pocket, um, you know, it is going down, the building is being worn and you can claim that and it makes a big difference on your tax return. So cut a long story short, you want to jump in? You know, I just want to pause you on that. So just, just to reiterate what Peter's just said, you get a, a, a loss, which is just a paper loss and that, that offsets or reduces your total taxable income. So what that, do, what that means in a material way and a practical way is you got a paper loss it reduces your income and that also means that you then get cash back. So for not actually paying out any cash, you're getting money back. That's what the incentive is there. Trying to dumb it down for people like no, that's myself. that's perfectly said. Yeah, and it's an incentive. And there aren't many incentives out there that you, like can, that. that you can get for an average investor. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. No, no problem. So I looked at brand new, started buying brand new where we could. And that's, that's why we've built this business, right? It's because through our own lesson you've come from uh, a similar journey you've been through property development and we know that buying brand new is just so much better and so i love brand new i'm a brand new evangelist not everything brand new Mm. but if you pick the right thing you can do quite well and it's easy it's easier than having to go and do all these other complicated things so i like to keep things simple because when it's simple you can grow and you don't want, you know, have to have anxious thoughts. Investing requires you to have a clear mind so that when an opportunity presents itself, you can back yourself and go through. If your mind is distracted, if you've got plumbing problems, strata problems, 
whatever, um, it stops you. You know, a, a two hundred dollar problem can stop you from a two hundred thousand dollar opportunity. That's Whereas right. in brand new, it's set, forget, give your depreciation schedule to your accountant at the end of the year. Thank you very much. Let me focus on the next one. Yeah, you pick a good market. You can see there's going to be growth there. It makes sense. Don't don't do the whole analysis paralysis and do fifty spreadsheets and re- you can bury yourself in information. I've seen clients, you know, bury them. I, I do this today when I'm looking to buy property. I still bury myself in information, and and it it shouldn't be that complicated. Well, everyone's got their own research criteria, and I think it's important to do your research. Certainly. And what we do is we do the research for you. So we've done all the research. We spend a lot of time, you know, Dom and I spend a lot of time sitting down, talking real estate, looking at deals, meeting developers, picking growth markets, understanding the build or the different aspects. And research is important, but too much research where it stops you from making an investment is bad. Yeah, because you you start thinking about the things that don't even matter and they're irrelevant to the transaction. I want to touch on this last piece of the transaction. Again, Peter's very humble. I won't give it to details. You're giving me a look. (laughs) (laughs) But but what what I want to say is there is a premium part of the market that you can invest in. So not all off-the-plan purchases or brand-new investment purchases needs to be that $600,000 two-bedroom apartment or a one-bedroom apartment somewhere. There is a place in the market, depending on what your portfolio looks like, where you can go and get that penthouse or the premium multi-million dollar assets because what you're getting in that asset is scarcity. When you're buying a penthouse, there are only so many penthouses. When you're buying in a landlocked area, that's an area where there's not a lot of development, whether it's you know north or east or in the inner city, you're spending a, a premium for that property, but you're getting something that no one else has availability to get or it's very, very, very limited supply. And what you can see in short periods of time is significant growth. Mm. Are you happy to chat a little bit about that without mm. giving away particulars? Yeah, so the beauty of uh, brand new is that you have affordable mid-range top end. So if you stick to brand new and you do grow as an investor and you do have more conviction, uh, there is a part of the market that's a high-end market that if you do your research and you buy well, um, you can do quite well. And particularly in Australia, I think Australia is is a beautiful country with the second wealthiest country on average, second to Switzerland, when you take average wealth per capita. We're on the doorstep of Asia. Most of your listeners have already heard this story a million times. But, you know, we are so beautiful. We are so affluent. We are so wealthy. We have so much opportunity. If you look at the high-end real estate, um, there isn't a lot of it. So there is very, you know, our real estate prices are generally high. But if you want to look at trophy, the trophy market, it's still evolving and it's still maturing. And there's more trophy, brand new trophy style of asset being built, I think, in the next five to ten years. And that's exciting because if you go to New York and you walk down Park Avenue, New York, London, which you and I have spent time in, they've got a high-end market that's established, that's been there, and investors all around the world who can afford to buy into that market. And Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, we're on the cusp of that market now evolving. So it provides a very good opportunity, I think, for investors who have the means. Not everybody has the means, but if you want to set it as a goal and an aspiration, I think it's a beautiful space to be investing. Yeah. So just to 
you know, add to that. What you're saying is, is, is I actually picked up my phone today and my phone says this is what you were doing 12 months ago and we're sitting in London, you know, doing interviews and talking to some of the best real estate agents over there. We're sitting with one of the heads of Savills and in the New York market, in the London market, in these more mature markets, there's a lot more depth for premium property, for, for trophy homes, as you said it. And clients sometimes talk to me and say, well, how much can an apartment grow in value? How, you know, hasn't a brand new apartment already got all of the growth set in it? That's the developers trying to do that. And I just point to what happened in Brangaroo. Mm. The, the most expensive piece of real estate, residential real estate, was a $130 million apartment in Brangaroo. That's how high property prices can go. I had this this, this debate with... Um, my my um my girlfriend's father he loves commercial i love you know brand new property and we chat about it and i like i like commercial as well but he said well you know how high can residential property go i, I use that explanation that um you know the brangaroo apartment but residential real estate is interesting because it is not just an investment when you go to that top end it's a discretionary choice so it's worth so much as someone's willing to pay. So it's almost uncapped top-end growth, really. I think one of the most dangerous things you can have as an investor is a, a limited mindset. So I remember when I was younger, our family home, I would have never envisaged the house we grew up in would be worth a million dollars, right? I just had that. It can't be. But today it's probably worth one and a half. So I think if you look at something and you see something, don't, it doesn't pay as an investor to have a limited. Don't be naive, but there's always opportunity. They're printing so much money around the world, Germany, Japan, the United States, most of Europe are printing money. You've got negative rates. Go to the bank and have a look at what reward you get for putting money into the bank. It's almost zero. So we're in a different, we're in a different world. The value of paper money is going down. Don't want to complicate it too much, but when the value of paper money my grandparents knew this you know my in-laws my father-in-law tells a story about how he grew up in lebanon and how he knows a lot of wealthy people that went and sold their money and bought gold because the value of the paper eventually diminished and so when that's happening around the world you want to invest in assets that generate income um, and if you can get an asset that's premium you know if you're buying that five carat diamond yep. it's always been expensive yep a hundred years ago, five-carat diamond was expensive for the average worker. It, guess what? It still is today, and it will be even more expensive in the future. That's right. That stunning you know, view of the harbour, the beachfront property, these qualitative reasons why other people are loving it, they remain the same. Yeah, you, you, you look at Egyptian mummies and they dig them out, and guess what? They're all covered in gold. And gold's still expensive, you know. People today aspire to wear that gold watch or gold necklace or, or gold ring when you get engaged. So if something is rare like gold, it's it's expensive for a reason. As long as you're not getting dupes, you're not buying something that is being sold to you as premium but it isn't mm. and you're paying a premium price, do your research or come and talk to um, businesses like us that do the research for you and have conviction and have a growth mindset. Don't have a limited mindset glass half empty love that so just just 
Pete, I want to say thank you very much for jumping on the show today. I know that you and I both have things to do, um, but especially you. You're in the background building all the technology, chatting to all the businesses and, and coordinating much of the daily practices. So thank you. Thanks I want for to having acknowledge me. you. Thank you so much. Um, and for all of you that just that latched on to Peter's last words when he's talking about having a growth mindset, I would recommend you having a look at Carol DeWick. She's got a book about growth mindsets. That's a really, really interesting book. And um, stay tuned for the next episode, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I love the podcast. And um, share this with somebody that you think will benefit from it, guys. Yes, perfect. Catch you all later.